Who needs Hollywood? I hear they're really nuts out there. Give me a town like old New York with lots of trees and clean fresh air. You've joined the Betamax Video Club, rewinding back to some of our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've rented Stir Crazy. Watching it with me is Carla Francis, who can be found on the Theme Park Films podcast. Hi, Carla, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Brilliant. And um, this was the film that you wanted to talk about. What was so special about it for you? Well, I had to pick an 80s film that I was fairly certain we wouldn't be covering at any point on our show, because uh, I try to cram in as many 80s films, being an 80s child as I can, um, giving them some kind of theme park connection very, very loosely. But I didn't think there would ever, sadly, be a stir-crazy theme park ride. So it seemed like the obvious choice. It's a film I want to talk about, and uh, it's one that I know I can never cover on my own show. So, yeah, that's why I picked it. You don't count Mechanical Bulls as a theme park ride. Oh, you see, now you're making me doubt this choice. <laughs> Maybe I could have shoehorned it in at some point. See, this is one of those films that before I saw it, I always assumed it was the, the two of them going to prison and pretending to be mad, the, the whole stir-crazy and yeah. the poster of them being dressed as woodpeckers. To, mm-hmm. um, it, it made it look as though they'd gone to some kind of excuse to get out of prison by being mad. Of course, it being Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, there is a lot of crazy behaviour in there. Mm-hmm. Some of it borders on perhaps mental illness. But, I mean, these are one of the, the most famous double acts of, of the era. They were in four films together. Um, this was the second. And it was also the third highest grossing film of 1980, which, when you put it up against the two that, that beat it, so we're talking nine to five and The Empire Strikes Back, the small independent film. <laughs> it, it's one of the, it's, it really did well. Bear in mind, it, it did have a stellar cast or certainly the, the two leads. But watching it again, it, it kind of stands the test of time, really, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I, I didn't realize it was that big at the time of it coming out. I mean, obviously, I saw it. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but this was a film I used to watch all the time as a kid. And when you actually watch it back, you realise that's wildly inappropriate. This isn't a child's film at all. However, I think I saw it, obviously, from a a TV version because there was all of the swearing was bleeped out. I remember the whole thing was bleeped. And uh, I don't remember any of the strip club scenes being included in it. So it's a very, very watered down version. But yeah, from the age of sort of five or six, I remember just watching this on a loop. And I don't think I had a clue really what was going on. But I guess because a lot of their behaviour was quite slapstick, it just used to really make me laugh. It's quite a common theme, certainly among some of the previous episodes I've done, where you know we'll talk about films and most of the guests are you know, very much of a similar age. You know, they, they were 80s kids watching films that, looking back, are wildly inappropriate. Mm. You know, I reminisced about the time that I was about eight or nine and my dad rented me and my brother Predator. <laughs> and, and even looking back at this, and the, the first time we meet Richard Pryor's character, Harry, he's working at what looks, you know, he's in catering, looking at a very nice upper middle class, upper class dinner party, working as a, as a, a butler or a waiter. And yet it turns out that his 
grass supply had been put into the food and turned everyone into crazy with the munchies and yeah. everything else. Now, I, re- I remember this, and they did leave in the, the bit where, where the cook says it's grass. And I I remember laughing because I thought they meant grass, like from the lawn. And I was like, oh, that's funny. He's put <laughs> some grass in it. That's really funny. So I guess it, it was harmless enough because I just took it literally on face value that he somehow put grass from the garden in their dinner. But yeah, I get yeah. It was um, you see it from a whole different perspective when you watch it as an adult. Yeah, when he runs around screaming, "You stole half my stash!" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and his compadre Skip uh, working as a store detective, mm. sort of in a very sort of strange way, and and this is sort of indicative of his character throughout the film, where he approaches a a woman that he says he recognizes from acting, but he mentions that he's a playwright and being very nice, accusing her of theft, yet managing to get sacked from the job just by uh, just by that by claiming she had nothing on underneath her overcoat. Yeah, he was a he was a quite an oddball character in this, wasn't he? And yeah, I don't think I ever picked up on that again. Just how odd the character was. Yeah, I mean, I I find I suppose it works for him. He he comes across as. I wouldn't even say naive or, or in that sort of Forrest Gump style, but he tries to see the good in everyone. And the part where they both, because obviously Richard Pryor gets sacked at the same time for drugging his clients. And when they go to the bar later on and there's the dispute in the bar with the, the cabbie and the guy and he decides these two are going hammer and tongs at each other. He's going to step in, introduce himself, talk to each other, conflict resolution. Yeah, even though the guy's got what looks like an adjustable spanner to the guy's crotch, yeah. um, he manages to achieve a you know very nice little resolution there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's not he's not a streetwise New Yorker, is he? Because this no. was New York when it was like really New York. You know, like nineteen eighty. I mean, the titles themselves when you see New York as it was then I mean you know it's not the New York we know now so he definitely wasn't didn't appear to be as streetwise as uh, as Richard Pryor's character was no and as you say it's um glitz and glamour were, were missing in the titles where you have a homeless woman finding an old sweatshirt and uh, on seeing that it says I love New York blowing her nose on it or yeah the um the lady who gets her heel stuck in the vent and then the guy trying to help her starts feeling her up. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> just showing the uh, the dingy side of, of New York. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't painted in the best light. <laughs> no. But their sort of plan, and you know, they, they get it out of the way quite early on, is Skip wants to escape the city and, and go to Hollywood. And, you know, they're, they're both essentially sort of in the, the industry where Richard Pryor was some sort of actor and, and he was a playwright. So they get the most beat up van possible and make it as far as Arizona, isn't it? Where it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. So um, they kind of find themselves in a in a bar, don't they? And yeah. um, he kind of tries to to chat to well the guys that eventually end up setting him up. Um, which again, I didn't realise when I was a kid. I just picked up on it this time that the mm. guys that he tries to uh, to chat to are actually the men that then go and set him up for what what will become his prison sentence. So, again, the na- naivety of him comes out, doesn't it? It is a little bit, I suppose, stereotypical of 
the south where it is one of these kind of spit and sawdust bars where the the only entertainment yeah. is a punching bag yeah they've managed to to get themselves a job dressing up as woodpeckers to sing and dance and promote a local mm-hmm. bank so then the two characters and and they obviously leave it lingering long enough that one of the guys has a very distinctive tattoo on his hand yeah, yeah. um both in in the punch bag but when they go on a break uh, skip and harry these two steal the costumes uh, the woodpecker costumes um hold up the bank and sort of make off in the van um now again that innocence of of skip seeing that there's plenty of police cars and everything by the bank they he goes back and said oh what's what's gone on and and when they get held the criminal justice process in Arizona is very swift. Very swift. And I I noticed they were drinking from Dunkin' Donuts cups. Surely mm. they could just have proved they were in <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts at that point. I mean, I know there would be no film, so, you know, but it just seems, you know, odd that they put, you know, which I presume was um, advertising for Dunkin' Donuts. But, you know, the, it's like, well, obviously you could just say, do you remember serving me or if CCTV existed then? Mm. It seems very odd that they just blindly believed, especially when one of the characters was black and quite clearly you could still see their faces. Yeah. And the guys that robbed it were white. I don't know. It's a few plot holes there, I think. I That's know. only one, one of many towards <laughs> the end. I guess this is one of those that they uh... – yeah, as long as it's entertaining, that's the main thing. Um, but the the two get arrested and, and taken to ch- jail pending their trial, and um, it's probably my, my favourite scene in the film where they're getting led into the the lockup. <laughs> they're getting bad. That's what they get. <laughs> getting bad. <laughs> Richard Pryor, who you know, we, we don't know whether his character has been in that institution before or anything like that, but. Um, he immediately starts the swagger and, you know, realising yeah. that if you're going into prison, you've got to be, you can't be weak. You can't be that fresh meat. And Gene Wilder's efforts to keep up with him swaying about, looking very casual in his way. Um, just walking around saying, we're, we're bad, we're bad. What are you doing? I'm getting bad. Better get bad, Jack, because you ain't bad. You're going to get fucked. You're bad. They don't mess with you. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, it proved what a brilliant comedy actor Gene Wilder was actually in this. I mean, we all know Richard yeah. Pryor, you know, was a gifted man, but Gene Wilder really comes to the forefront in that scene. He was fantastic in it. Again, we've already seen his his innocent side, and this time trying to pass off as you know a hardened veteran of the penal system. He's um, it's, it gets a bit sort of silly when they're in there because they have the guy who looks like he's a bit mentally ill or, or perhaps chasing a fly. Mm-hmm. And it leads to Skip slapping a chap on the head who's mm-hmm. actually the he's Apollo Creed's trainer from Rocky. So immediately a, a nice little recognising point there. And then trying to punch him, he punches the big guy, big mean. And at that point, you're almost expecting you know, a link there to some sort of blazing saddles to hold punch up. <laughs> where you think it'll all break out in this little cell. It's kept surprisingly low-key because they're, again, they're putting on the the little show that kind of persuades them not to do it. Yeah, yeah. The the big guy sidekick is a bit of an 80s movie veteran as well. It's uh, the wonderfully named Grandel Bush, 
who was the (laughs) special agent in Die Hard and was also in a, a Bond film as well. But... While you know, this, this is all going on, the, the wheels of justice are turning. They go to court virtually straight away. They're, they're still in the same clothes. And yep. sentenced sentence to 125 years. Strong, strong justice system in America. Yeah. And, and as you say, I mean, without going into... This is no legal podcast, believe me. But there's we don't see what evidence is produced but it all seems from and bear in mind we, we already know what the true story is is that they're wrongly convicted they've gone purely on the fact that it's two people dressed in their clothes driving off in their van mm-hmm. there's no seemingly out of evidence and their court appointed lawyer is uh i think saying he's inept is putting it mildly yeah just a bit yeah um so they get sentenced to 125 years and needless to say are somewhat taken aback by that and that's when they get taken to taken to the prison where uh, after being led in on chains and Harry's propositioned by the character we later learn or later meet as Rory mm-hmm. and um yeah it's uh, some of the behavior while they're getting led to their cell you think uh, despite the the harsh court system the uh, the prison guards are surprisingly lax I think when Skip starts dancing around. Yeah, I mean, they have a, like, a, literally one breakdown after the other, don't they? One has a breakdown and then the other has a breakdown immediately afterwards. You'd assume that the, the guards are battened up and everything else. I think yeah. they'd last about three seconds in real life. I think so. I think so. Especially when he started to spit at one point as well. <laughs> so I'm not sure he would have got away with that. <laughs> it's quite a... Um, I suppose it's quite a standard prison scene where, where new guys are getting led in and mm. you, you hear people shouting, sort of fresh meat, fresh meat. And and as they start getting used to their surroundings, the next scene is in the in the mess hall the, where they're eating their lunch. <laughs> it's just where we met with Grossberger. Grossberger, what a character. Yeah. Who's... Um, Everyone's petrified of he's uh was it he he'd murdered his family and mm-hmm. no, no one would go anywhere near him and again skip tries to i think he's intimating that all he needs is someone to talk to yeah. this intimidating mountain of a guy who i funny enough had already discussed on the he was in the running man as oh, one okay. of the stalkers yeah. yeah I thought he was some sort of wrestler or something like that, but uh he was certainly big enough. Grossberger scares him off quite quickly, and he is very much the sort of the big daddy of the prison. But um, it's a strange sort of setup where they're obviously there. They, they've made their friends quite quickly. They're you know, the, the, their fellow inmates. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the next part where the main sort of plot of the film, um, the warden, who's a very strange individual and his somewhat sadistic assistant Wilson uh, they call every new inmate into their office um, to ride on a mechanical bull yes and I I used to think that was just what happened when you went to prison I thought that was that was just a thing that you had to do if you went to prison you had to ride a mechanical (laughs) bull I remember thinking it doesn't seem that bad (laughs) <laughs> no, I've never done one before. Um, I suppose I, I haven't been to, haven't been to prison, so I haven't had the chance. No. But, um, this is something where Skip seems to have a a skill in riding this bull, and um, Craig Nelson, the the captain who's 
sort of manning the controls, puts it up to maximum. And yet, now I don't know how they did this because it looks the way they've done it looks really good. You wouldn't look at Gene Wilder and think that he knows what he's doing on Bull. Definitely not. Definitely not. I presume they sped the film up. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I would hope so. So while this is going on, because the warden has seen his new inmate has got this skill, we learn that there's a a competition that he has between a another prison where they compete in a local rodeo for money. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's, it just ends up being a private bet between them. The warden clearly realises he's, he's struck gold and uh, does his best to try and convince Skip to, to compete in this rodeo for him. But um, it doesn't all go to plan, does it? Not quite, not quite. So Skip basically finds out from the other inmates that, you know, it's all this big um, bet between the two wardens and the prisoners don't get any benefit from this, etc., etc. So he uh, he wants to make it as hard as possible before he agrees to do it so that he can kind of forge his own team and plan a uh, plan an escape from the rodeo. Yeah, and, and this is all sort of set to the backdrop because initially he says, well, why would I escape? I've got an appeal pending, yeah. um, realising that pretty much everyone else in the prison has also tried appealing their sentence. And, yeah. um, and with his inept lawyer... You know, it's lucky that it's his uh, distant cousin who eventually comes to their aid. But the sort of schemes that they get up to, the um, because Skip refuses, and his initial refusal, he says, is that his mother was a veterinarian, yeah. and he didn't want to be involved in exploitation of animals, mm-hmm. which um, immediately puts him on the wrong foot because that's when the the attempts to break him come in, and and it's almost like comparing it to the Shawshank Redemption yes. or something. Yeah. It's, it's not quite the same because the next scene we have them doing extreme manual labour and yet Skip manages to to pull it off all in denim with a little pink neckerchief. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he suddenly gets really tough, doesn't he? And he's able to yeah. sustain quite a lot. Um, I suppose it's a, a willpower thing. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we have seen this all along, that he is quite mentally mentally strong in himself he believes in the power of thinking doesn't he yeah but i'm not sure physically no matter how strong he was he could have sustained quite what they put him through yeah because even the uh the the chap passing the water bucket along which you think is a spoon until you realize it's actually a colander yeah <laughs> <laughs> trying to drink water through one of those is difficult at the best of times yeah. and then the next scene is him getting chained up in a cell, sort of something out of Life of Brian or something. And in there thinking, oh, we've broken him now, it turns out that, or he claims anyway, that all they've done is uh, heal his long-standing back injury. (laughs) He's certainly resisting. He really is. He really is. Mm. is. And uh, their ultimate punishment, well, I suppose they they put him in the box next, don't they? Yeah, he goes down Um, to the hole, doesn't he, for... You know, which I think we saw, as you said, in Shawshank. I mean, maybe Shawshank was inspired by Stir Crazy. I I really (laughs) like to think so, because that was kind of... There's a couple of deleted scenes. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of uh, Andy's punishment, wasn't it, in Shawshank? Going down to the hole was like the ultimate uh, thing you could endure. Um, But, yeah, he comes out of that and asks for more time in the hole. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, maybe we haven't explored the fact that Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman could have been the next Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I would love to see that have happened. I suppose they've both tried a little bit of comedy, but uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe an un- untapped resource. They haven't tried a chicken suit each. That's no. Well, not that's not in public anyway. Well, yeah, that's where they're going wrong. <laughs> but yeah, their, their sort of ultimate effort and realising that none of these plans have worked yet, they... Um, they decide the best way to scare them will be, let's put Grossberger in their tight little two-man cell. Now, I say Grossberger we touched on is a giant of a man. Yeah. As Skip is taken back to the cell, he's already sizing up Harry. He's looking petrified. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a good chance for Skip to exercise his talking powers and communication and counselling because... Not long after that, the three of them are quite happily playing cards together. Yeah, they've made friends with Grossberger, which is great. And instantly we forget that he's a mass murderer that's that's murdered all his family, and we like him too. So He's a big softy. He is. He means well. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Even though he's cheating at cards, but then so's Harry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all okay. After this, this is um, eventually they're realizing the the warden and and wilson that this isn't working so their ultimate plan so their second ultimate plan they end up taking harry off to the hospital Mm -hmm. scaring him with uh his chap in the next bed who's had a testicle removed and the guy they're force feeding and everything else um eventually they do they do come round because skip goes into the to the warden and sort of agrees as long as certain conditions are met but yeah it's it's all very you know skips sort of quiet confidence seems to be coming out a lot more now doesn't it yeah definitely yeah he's very much in control of the warden at this stage isn't he and at this point you know while he's there sort of negotiating for for benefits so he gets a nice cell and and everything else it all seems like the prison's being run for his benefit it's um the the other sort of his team that he insists on are now starting to make sort of tools and little a little montage in the the metal workshop where they're making um, what they'll need to escape because they've already identified that the better he does at the rodeo, um, the more chance they'll have of escape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not many prisons you think have a farm attached to them. <laughs> Maybe it's an Arizona thing. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. I'm not. It's not something I've studied, to be yeah. honest. But yeah, I, I don't think they do. No. It might be one off. Yeah. It's a nice sort of little practice arena for them to to go off and and do their bits with the the horses and the bulls, and mm-hmm. um, it's where uh, Harry and and Rory, the um, the chat we met earlier on, they decide that their role in the team is to be the rodeo clown mm-hmm. um, and um, it mostly consists of Harry getting chased by a giant bull yeah. when he realises the magic word is shit. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. They, they do make good clowns, though. They really did. I suppose of all the people you'd, <laughs> of all the people you'd want as a clown, it would be Richard Pryor. Yeah, I mean, that's the ultimate clown, surely. <laughs> um, so we come to the rodeo, and, and this is where the, the big bet, is um 
is going to come to fruition. And it, it sort of reminds me of that Simpsons episode with the, the softball game where they met bet is a million dollars that they'll bet on a softball game. And it shows the, I suppose the difference between the the great mm-hmm. and the good and mm-hmm. so on. I've never been to rodeo. I, I don't, I certainly don't watch it on telly. I think my, my main sort of interaction with it was the bit in Borat where he went and sang the national anthem. Badly. <laughs> I think that might be my <laughs> only reference other than stir crazy as well. Now I, 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 I'm led to believe anyway, from my frantic Googling that the main point of rodeo is to stay on the animal as long as possible mm-hmm. i suppose that's why he was selected from the mechanical bull but um yeah. it's very popular the locals seem to be really invested in it yeah they seem to be loving it don't they it seems to be a massive event i mean they got people selling popcorn they got all sorts going on there uh, a spectator sport seeing people bucking around on bulls i don't know yeah, hmm. yeah. oh well they should introduce it over here maybe I don't know if it would work over it. We're not. We're very nonplussed, aren't we? The, the English. I don't think or the British. We wouldn't be impressed by it. No. It takes a lot to impress the British. I suppose we're we're still impressed by one man and his dog. It's a. Uh, true. Animal sports of a very different kind. Yeah, a bit more twee for yeah. us. <laughs> but again, you know, there, there's a some mild peril where Harry gets on the big bull and one of the prison inmates sticks a padlock on you know in in a bid to kind of freak the bull out and everything else and Grossberger who's of course made it onto the team has uh, comes along and saves the day all the while while this is going on and and this is something that confused me was now we've obviously seen the others making tools and and bits and bobs i wonder how how they knew the layout of this arena um stadium whatever you play rodeo in um because it seems very convoluted, they um, they use little wrenches to to get the nuts and bolts off the some of the bleachers, mm. and yet they uh, seem to emerge in this labyrinth of underground tunnels and and everything else. Um, I didn't pick up. Was this something they've tried to do before? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know whether um, because obviously I, I don't know his name, but the the Mexican guy that was part of the gang, he he had his family helping. So I don't know if they staked that like, case the joint beforehand, yeah. and uh, you know because they were presumably employed by the stadium or the arena to to help out with the catering or whatever they were doing there. So I don't, I, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really clear how they knew all this stuff. Again, like you say, plot holes and this, that and the other, and at least it, it provides that, that bit of peril, doesn't it? But um, yeah, it is very strange again, how, you know, this all worked, but while, you know, and it's the ultimate distraction of, of Skip playing or doing the rodeo where, Mm. he the better he does and and they touched upon um it gives them all they're, they're sneaking through it's all very great escape style rolling under these these panels um into the waiting popcorn cart and everything else <laughs> um and yet harry and rory come back in harry dressed in you know very fancy get up and uh, rory dressed as a woman which uh I suppose back in the early '80s was just a, a funny gadget, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was the '80s. Come on, <laughs> what's funnier? What's funnier than that in an '80s film? You got to have a, someone in drag, surely, yeah. in full makeup as well. 
He did it quite well, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I tried to do that at a weekend. But, um, <laughs> moving on, moving on. You know, it's, it's strange that none, you know, in a lot of these prison escape stories, there is that chase thing or when they realise. And, and again, you know, I'm not saying that this is any way related to Shawshank Redemption, but of course there's the scene where they realise that um, Andy Dufresne has escaped and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. They escape relatively scot-free, don't they? Yeah, definitely. You don't see any, you know, alarms going off or, or anything really happening, do you? They just, no. They just escape. It's one of those, again, where they've made it out, I suppose, undetected. And while the the other, the other prison sort of rodeo guy, he wins the tiebreaker. So where he and, and Skip have to... Take the bag of money from the bull's head. That's it, yeah. Yeah, it's, again, a, a sort of probably quite a normal thing. I don't know. So Skip basically allows him to win on the proviso that he throws the money into the prisoners because they wouldn't have got it anyway. Um, so I suppose that's the distraction they need because they escape in a little sort of camper van mm-hmm. and conveniently bump into the lawyer and the, the, the cousin because the cousin, as we talked about, or touched on earlier, she gets a job at a strip club, mm. um, fully clothed, which, you know. She's the only one with clothes on in it, which is, yeah. you know, not suspicious. No. And while she's working in there, she actually sees the guys who robbed the bank because she, she makes out the tattoo. That's um, right. So while she's worked this out, now, again, the wheels of justice moving quickly, does that mean that the sentences or the convictions of Harry and Skip have been quashed? Did, I didn't see an appeals trial. I didn't see any sort of uh, high court scenario here. They just basically went, we're free, and uh, and off they go. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that they're free of, of bank robbery, but that they will be charged with breaking out of prison and aiding and abetting murderers to also escape. Because... Yeah. Uh, um, we know at least one of them was a murderer. I don't think we know what the Mexican guy was in there for, but um, we know that Harry's friend was in there for uh, killing his stepdad. So I'm f- I think they'd probably get in quite a bit of trouble for that. Yeah. And, I mean, as you say, ultimately, whether they did that or not, they still broke out of prison. They still, I mean, I suppose there wouldn't be any issues around fraud or, or whatever, but... Um, yeah, it's very. Maybe that was the uh, the sequel that was never made. I know we've got some uh, mutual friends who do podcasts about sequels that were never made, and maybe we could uh, suggest a uh, crazy two where they ultimately thought they were free and were recaptured and sentenced to another twenty years. Absolutely. If uh, if Beyond the Box Set are listening, <laughs> hello, get onto it. Um, yeah, we want the stir crazy too, please. So, I, in my mind, I think they would have had to have tried to break back into prison, and that kind of would have made quite a funny sequel that they had to break back in to be released again. Hmm. I think that was the plot of Prison Break, wasn't it? There you yeah. go. They could have inspired that as well, as yeah. well as Shawshank. Well, I say Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman get them back. They'll do stir crazy too. I think we've, I think we've hit the jackpot there brilliant <laughs> um i mean as a, as a film you know we, we didn't even talk about it. it's a film directed by sydney poitier which isn't someone that you'd instantly twig would be in charge of 
what was one of the most popular films of the year and certainly a, a massive popular comedy. Mm. Apparently it was the first film that he directed that he didn't actually star in. And it was also the first film by an African-American director that made over $100 million. So, oh, really? Yeah. So, so really, you know, this this film did an awful lot. You know, it's difficult because certainly in my eyes, I, I always see See No Evil, Hear No Evil as perhaps my favourite film with Wilder and Pryor in. Mm. And yet this was probably the most successful. Yeah, I guess it was. I don't know. I mean, I, I did like See No Evil, Hear No Evil, but I think... I, I think this probably would have been my favourite one, just because, like I said, I, for some reason, I had it on video with, you know, when you used to have, like, two films, one after the other on <laughs> yeah. videotape, and I had this with War Games, which was funny because yeah. the warden was also in War Games. Yeah. So I used to see him as the warden and then just loop over to War Games, and he was in War Games as well. So um, purely coincidental. But... Yeah, I, I I really used to love this film a lot as a kid. Um, that's a weird combination of those two films. I, uh, yeah, I don't know why. I guess my dad just put them on the same tape. They were probably just on telly at a similar oh, time. Right. He taped one after the other. <laughs> I thought you meant they were on one of the pre-recorded. Things. Oh no, no, no! These were <laughs> these were taped off off the telly yeah. when you know when you tried to edit the adverts out yourself and missed yeah. half of it and. Yeah, that, that that was off the telly. It's funny, like um, sort of talking about those old videos. And part of going back and watching them was the fun bit when helping my mum clear her house out, and we had some old VHS tapes recorded of. Uh, there was definitely one of Star Wars, and we must have yeah. recorded it off the telly in eighty six, eighty seven, and it still had all the adverts for all these shops that no longer exist, and oh. they. It sounds sacrilege to say it, but they were as entertaining as the film. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Sometimes I just watch like eighties ads on YouTube. Yeah, because they're really funny. And it was, you know, the even ones you remember, like the the water in Mallorca, that that one, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was just great, and and it, this was maybe a film that it kind of I suppose passed me by at that age anyway, because again, my my dad just didn't put it in front of me i suppose he was too mm. busy looking at predator and yeah, <laughs> tr- tr- trying to get me into john wayne and clint eastwood films but um i say coming back to watch it again after you know a fair gap just realize how funny it was and how great wilder and Pryor were yeah they were great they were great uh well i mean they weren't a double act but they certainly worked well as a double act yeah and those films you know the the four that they did together um mm. brilliant but then you think about the the work they did separately, and and I suppose I've hamstrung myself with this eighties thing, where you know there are films by them that I'd love to do, like again, mm. like Blazing Saddles or Willy Wonka or things like that with, with Gene Wilder, and you know he he carried well certainly carried the Willy Wonka film all on his own. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, I mean it was a really interesting choice because I know we talking about which film to talk about, we sort of went all over the shop really and, and to land on this one was mm. nice because it's um different and and yet a funny one that we probably whether we've done it justice or not i don't know but uh it was a uh, great to watch and great to talk about yeah i think it's the kind of film that everyone likes but maybe they've forgotten that they like and uh you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean you, you need to, to revisit it it's the kind of film you, when you mention it something like oh yeah that was really really good but they might not have watched it for yeah. a few years so well hopefully this will uh 
bump a few people into to giving it a watch and and remembering it fo- as fondly as we did anyway yeah definitely yeah well um carla a uh, couple of things talked about before about um what we'd like to promote so your podcast um theme park films mm. um of course the the premise of it's quite straightforward it's uh any film that's got some sort of theme park link to it what can we expect in the future from you yeah, so basically, well, like you said, it's it's basically the only rule we have is that any film we review has to have featured in a theme park. So they basically have to have a ride or attraction. Um, there's no particular reason for that other than we needed some kind of theme to keep us on track. So we just thought, why not go around Universal Studios and Walt Disney World and do all of their films? So that, that's kind of uh, why it's that. Um, it's very lighthearted. I'm often annoyed it's in the film section, really, of iTunes because technically it probably should be in the comedy version. Um, Not because I'm particularly funny, but my co-host is very, very funny. And, yeah, it's just... It is just... We've been called the goggle box of podcasts (laughs) because we give no facts whatsoever about the film. You know, half the time we don't even learn the characters' names. (laughs) It's just... Two normal people discussing a film that they've just watched, and that's it. That's the whole premise of it. So I, I probably haven't sold it, but you know, give it a go. It can't hurt, can it? It's free. I mean, I, I haven't been to many theme parks in my days, but um, one I did go to was uh, Fort Park, and it was the Saw one. Mm-hmm. Is that one that you've done? We, you know what, we we are only doing the uh, American ones at the moment. But you right. know, I mean, when we eventually run out. And then I guess we might have to to go to Fort Park and and the ones in in Britain perhaps, but yeah, we'll try and we'll try and ring out as much as we can from the American ones. That's for sure. Oh, superb! And um, as you say, you can you're on iTunes as uh, theme park films. Yeah, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, theme park films podcast, um, and on any podcast player. We're pretty much on all of them now. All, all the good ones and some bad as well. That's it, everywhere. <laughs> and, and the other thing that I was keen to talk about was, and it was kind of how we were introduced or, or how we met, was through the Britpod scene, which is, mm-hmm. well, you're best describing it, but certainly a, a collection of British podcasts that I know you and, and some, some of the other guys do a lot of work behind the scenes to promote. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, when I first started doing the podcasting, which was you know just over a year ago now, I saw quite a lot of... Um, people kind of hashtagging, and I won't say the hashtags, but several hashtags promoting each other. So they were like little units that just used to retweet each other. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was someone, because they all tended to be the big American shows, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was someone in Britain doing that? And I just sat there and I thought, well, I, I could do that. I could maybe, you know, get a gang of sort of four or five people. That was all I thought initially. And um, I, I already listened to Rough Giraffe podcast, so I got in touch with Stacey. Um, and then I just randomly searched British podcast and came across That King Thing with Tom and Is Not Radio with Daniel. And kind of within an afternoon, we were all chatting on Twitter uh, DM and we'd formed Britpod scene together. And, yeah, at the start, we were just retweeting each other, really. Um, and then we asked other people to join and we were all on a Twitter DM. It got too big. So we moved over to another platform. And now we've got like a hundred different British podcasts as part of Britpod scene. 
and um it's it's way beyond retweeting now we just um we've got our own category on podbean so if you go to podbean search brick pod scene you will find all of the british podcasts that are hosted by podbean it's not all of brick pod scene podcasts but it's the ones that, that are hosted by podbean so definitely go and check that out and our twitter account only retweets the shows from Britpod Scene. So if you go up to at Britpod Scene, everything we retweet are from the shows that we endorse. And I must just point out actually that Stacy is the recruiter for Britpod Scene. We all divvied up jobs and blah, blah, blah. And she does listen and vet every single person that comes in. So, you know, when I say there's over 100 members, there could quite easily be 300 members. It's just that you have to get past Stacey first. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, they are selected. You you have been selected as as, as a, what, what we consider to be, you know, good enough because we're really proud of what we've created and we want, you know, good people in it. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have perfect sound or, you know, be professional, but, you know, we're not just inviting anyone to join. This is really people that we feel strongly we want to promote well the, the thing is is that you know there, there's so many podcasts now and it's easy if someone is keen enough to just you know you they can record a podcast on a phone and and trying yeah. to trying to get that word out and trying to you know some people do it because it's therapeutic some people do it because they just you know they, they think they want to change the world and and everything in between and and having that support and having that that network and, and group there to get beyond just promoting, but, you know, giving advice in, in our case tonight, it's actually talking to each other. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's a lot I know that goes on behind the scenes of people guesting on each other's podcasts and even some of the stuff that is alien to me. I mean, I'm very much a, a layman and some of the conversation I, I've seen about the technical stuff, you know, there's some really knowledgeable guys there. Um, mm. Totally you know, valuable resource to anyone who's obviously once they get past Stacey, which is the, uh, the challenge, but, um, you know, having, having that there is a huge boost. And I, and I know that the work you did around Podbean getting on the front page was huge. Mm. Yeah. It took, it took, it took me a little bit of time, but we got there in the end and, um, you know, it just proves that anyone can, can do it really. You know, I, if you listen to some of our earlier episodes, you know, the sound is off and we didn't particularly know what we were doing, but, you know, we had the passion to do it and, you know, practice makes perfect. And when I say you have to get past Stacey, you know, it, it just needs to be good. It just needs to be something that we think that, that some, you know, someone else would enjoy. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, you know, the only rules we have are, you know, no religion, no politics, because that's an icky area to get into. But anything else, um, yeah, get in touch and um, I'll send Stacey to uh, to listen to you. Yeah, she'll be there listening, waiting. She will. <laughs> you have no idea how many she listens to. I mean, I, I get bogged down because I make it. The minute someone joins, I always listen to their show because it's the right thing to do. I created it. But... When I, I mean that that really takes up a lot of my time. So how Stacy does it when she listens to you know probably three to my one, I just don't know how she finds the time. And she's got a really sensible job, and I don't. So 
yeah hats off to yeah. her well so it's um you know for, for me anyway you know i'm only i'm into the teens of, of episodes and you know learning about that sort of stuff kind of on the job i mean there's a hopefully a, a noticeable difference in, in quality from the first episodes to now anyway certainly in technical quality if, if not if not me but um it's it's just been incredible and and having that available has just been magnificent and I, I know a lot of people listen to this and talk about doing their own podcast or um setting mm. one up and and there really isn't anywhere better you know certainly in this country for that support and that network and and everything else oh that's very kind of you to say i'm glad that um yeah i'm glad we are helping people you know i i get help every day i mean the other admins must be sick of me <laughs> asking them for help all the time so yeah i'm i'm really really pleased that that we can yeah. help people carla it's been uh, great to talk about the film and also the the various good jobs that you do i'm gonna play out as usual with what song was number one in the charts at the time of this film's release over here which was jealous guy by roxy music thank you very much for coming along and talking and uh, hopefully you'll uh, come back soon to talk about another film absolutely i've loved it thank you very very much for having me and my heart I began to lose control I began to lose control I didn't mean to hurt you I'm sorry that I made you cry This podcast is part of Britpod Scene an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritPodScene.com or BritPodScene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.